Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of NDB. My name is Christopher Jason Bell, and thank you for tuning in again. Today, I have filmmaker Usama Al Shabi. Hello. Hello. So, thank you for joining us. Can you fill in listeners as to who you are and what you've done? Well, I'm a filmmaker. I I make films. I also teach film. Really, my uh, work started in Chicago, where I went to film school. Um, I'd say a lot of my early films were shorts, music videos, and came more from an underground film aesthetic and style. Um, I was really inspired by a lot of what you would call, um, you know, just a kind of more of underground or punk sensibility when it came to making work. Uh, this was the late nineties and there were a lot of this, this indie indie filmmaking was becoming a big thing. Um, which is really a reflection of Hollywood, but on a smaller scale. Um, it still operated on the same level. But the friends that I was hanging out with, we, we, we all went to sort of film school together, and we, we would all act in each other's work and help, help one another. So it was all about just do it yourself, you know, DIY. You know? And I, growing up in the 80s as a punk kid, we came from that kind of aesthetic and that attitude is hey you you want to you want to do something just do it what are you waiting for um so a lot of that early work was sort of low budget no budget um but it was really it was really the, the politics at the time that i think turned me towards a more serious form of filmmaking i had always loved uh, documentaries and wasn't really sure if i was ever going to make one but i would say that my film career or my my elevation as a filmmaker happened when I went to Baghdad in early 2004 and made my first feature documentary, Nice Bombs. Um, and that was nine months after the U.S. invasion. You know, I had very little experience, and I had this Sony consumer brand three-chip camera and and just went into Baghdad and spent almost three weeks and just made this uh, film that was personal and political and difficult but everything changed after that you know after i made that film i do come from an arts background like i when i was young i thought i'd like to be vincent van gogh or pablo picasso i wanted to be a painter i loved painting and and a lot of my aesthetic is still informed by that like the visual arts and i and i tell this to my wife all the time if if the world wasn't the way it is today, I would be a very different filmmaker. But because my name is Osama, and I do come from Baghdad, and I did grow up in the Midwest, and we did invade Iraq in 2003, I am who I am. And and I was tapping into some of these themes of, of being an immigrant, being an outsider, but I just didn't really know how to talk about it. And so making work, making films, was a way for me to communicate also it was a way for me to have a voice um to say something and there was a bit of an activist streak in me like i i felt compelled i felt like 
here I am watching the news, and every time I see images of Iraq, it's like literally from the point of view of a tank, from a U.S. military tank. And they, what the reporters were doing is they were embedded. They were embedded with the military. And I thought, this is, this is, a, this is a very narrow and problematic uh, way of seeing my homeland, Iraq. And it's funny because after I made Nice Bombs, someone said, some, you know, uh, someone who's seen the film, an audience member came up to me and he said, this is going to sound silly, but you did something very radical. I said, what's that? He said, you just showed an, an Iraqi family, just people hanging out, having dinner, playing video games, getting in their car, driving around. I said, why is that radical? Because, because Americans don't have no clue who yeah. these people are. You're just like, these are just like middle class folks that live in Baghdad and you're just showing normal day-to-day stuff and them trying to talk about politics and all that. And that that really opened my eyes. Just just me, this Arab American guy, just speaking and showing the American public like where I come from and who these people are and what their stories are. And um, that was incredible. That a simple gesture like that um, could have an effect. And that and that carried me through. You know, and when I made American Arab, very similar film that addressed these issues. Yeah. But I have a lot of you know, I have a lot of stuff in between. I, I do documentaries, I do fiction. I did a film about a uh, a Muslim sex worker, which was really sort of about my own relationship to my faith. A lot of the times, it's a response to something out there, mm-hmm. um, like war or just blatant bigotry, um, and me trying to do something that can not only respond to it but also. Um, show something truthful about my own stories and the people around me, the community, because I feel there's so much distortion that I just I feel like it's important for me to do that to make this kind of work. Yeah. Well, that answer was awesome. <laughs> a lot to unpack here. So I want to go back a little bit to when you said somebody came up to you and said what you did was radical. And it is, and I think that's awesome in a way, probably because, you know, we like the word radical, but, <laughs> and you know, that it's, it's great that you did that, but it's also like really unfortunate. And I think that's like a big failure with, um, I don't know, the media, uh, filmmaking, like cinema on every like almost every scale, like from Hollywood to India, I think that's a big failure that what you did, you know, and that was kind of a long time ago, but still like what you did shouldn't be that radical. Like it would, should, it should be that kind of thing should be in films more often. Um, so what is your take on, I guess, films that have dealt with that? Cause you have a lot of documentaries that dealt with Iraq Hollywood films that dealt with Iraq and but it was always it was like the media where newscasters were with the army it's kind of like that mm-hmm. what's your take on all of those um well just go, talking about Hollywood um I don't, I don't think Hollywood's been very good I mean I you take a film like American Sniper um and it's it's totally racist I mean there's no, no way to say it. Um, the first time we meet the, the sniper, 
the camera. It's just a few inches from his face. We see him struggle. We learn about his childhood. We see a, man, a fully formed emotional man going through um, everything that a human goes through. He's a, he's, he's a rich character. But the first time we meet any Arab or Muslims, they are literally seen through the crosshairs of his gun. And it's, so just to use some cinematic language, it's a long lens that we see them. So they're immediately, we're distanced, okay? So here's a foreign invader, and he's about to shoot a, uh, a woman and her child. And the setup is, yeah, you may feel bad for them, but they're going to do some, some bad shit. They're going to go set up a bomb or something like that. And this is, this is, um, this sort of alleviating the guilt over the, the murder of women and children in, in foreign lands by American military. Um, you can trace it back all the way to Vietnam. It's like, yeah, you may think this is an innocent kid, but they're going to blow you up. So you better shoot them. Like even the children are criminals, um, through the lens of Hollywood. So that continues. I mean, American sniper had a very strong reaction. People afterwards were saying they wanted to kill Arabs and all this stuff. Um, but if you just look at the way Arabs and Muslims are dehumanized in Hollywood, there's a whole long, long history of that. You can go all the way back to cartoons. And it, it's it's similar in how African-Americans were dehumanized. But it's a very specific one. Like, So if you see – if you look at like films in the 70s, if you see stuff that was going on between Iran and, and the United States government, you see that reflected in cinema. And you also have to ask yourself who's behind these movies. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of documentaries, there's definitely been some, some great work. Um, James Longley's film, Iraq in Fragments, really tackled the issues over there and humanized the Iraqi people. Um, and there's, there's been quite a few works of American filmmakers going, going over there. Um, Operation Dreamland, I think, is another one that was really powerful. And I think that's what documentaries should do, is they should go and reveal something truthful, show the humanity, and, and tell a story. But I don't think Hollywood fiction has has done any anything positive so far. I, I haven't seen anything that's humanized um, Iraqis or Afghanis or Iranians. Um, there's certainly some directors here and there that are doing some work, but I don't I, I, I don't see Hollywood really tackling it and, and, and doing anything positive. I mean, the last film I remember, American Sniper, was 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 pretty disgusting. Mm -hmm. I mean in the way it sort of re rewrote history and um, trying to portraying Iraqis as it's just collectively as, as villains and not really getting into the deeper issues. And also, I mean, I, I knew soldiers in Iraq and it was, they had friends that, that were Iraqis. They just, there was a lot that they left out. Mm -hmm. And here's something interesting. I also teach, and I remember in class, sometimes, you know, I start off the class, we introduce each other, ask students who they are, their, their major, what films they may like. And one student said, I, he said, I really love American Sniper. I said, why do you really love the film American Sniper? He said, because it's realistic. And that's, you know, someone who has never, he's never been to Iraq, he's never been in the military, he's never, you know, I, I take it that's probably the only time he's seen Iraq. And I put it in quotes because, um, Again, it's it's all fictional. I mean, this this is something that's that was created uh, 
it's Clint Eastwood's <laughs> idea of what Iraq should look like and his own particular ideology. Um, but it confirms it confirms some deep seated prejudice, or if maybe someone was on the fence, like they thought they had these horrible ideas of what Arabs are like, and then they see in the film and it confirms it. Um, that's what I think he meant by realistic, and that that disturbs me. Mm-hmm. That you know, and I and I think and I think even shows like Homeland and others. Um, twenty four. They, they twenty four. Yeah, they do now, a disservice yeah. by by constantly you know, treating terrorism like it's this, you know, treating like Islam and terrorism and Arabs like we're just these vicious villains always hell-bent on destroying America. And um, it sucks that I constantly have to, like, respond to that. And I feel like ever since I landed here, I've just been constantly having to respond to that since day one, since I was a kid. And I'll tell you, mm-hmm. and I'll and I'll say, oh, just to, to continue, like so. For example, like when I was a kid, some of the stereotypes were were kind of funny. Like, oh, do you do you have camels? Oh, you're from Baghdad, flying carpets. You have money. It was it was kind of goofy, and it didn't bother me that much. And I'd be like, yes, I do have a flying carpet. <laughs> um, that was fun. But later on, and you know, it was interesting because I mean, I would my dad would take me to films like those old, like Sinbad movies, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and Hollywood has an interesting relationship because for a while, some like some of the old silent movies it was sort of a romantic depiction of the East, you know. Yeah. And then later, it got more vicious. Um, but those kind of stereotypes weren't as harmful. They were more cartoonish or more. They, they, they alluded more to like a thousand and one nights, that Sinbad, Aladdin, and, and the Magic Lanterns. But then, it, then it got it got darker in the eighties um, with Reagan and. Um, and then all the way up into uh, the first Gulf War and then the attack in Iraq. Um, and I always felt like I had to answer to a question that came from these distorted images, you know? So, you know, so someone comes up to you and go, like, do you guys, like, really hate America? Like, how, how do you go from there, you know? Yeah. Um, or that there's something inherently violent about my culture, just, just as you know, just as a default, and I have to respond to that. It sucks. Yeah, um, which is weird yeah. because you know we're talking, we're we're in America, we're talking about like American sniper and stuff, and I don't know, like gun violence and all that. Like, why don't we get asked if our culture is inherently violent and stuff like that? Like, why is it? given to you as, like, someone who's Iraqi <laughs> rather than me who's, you know, uh, I'm American. Like, why aren't I asked that kind of thing? Yeah, you know? it's, I, it's a good question. I mean, I had some Iraqis ask me if everyone owned a gun mm-hmm. in the United States because they see it in the movies. Um, yeah, I mean, we are more likely to get killed by gun violence in the United States um, than by a terrorist attack. I mean, that's... It's a big problem here, you know. Um, I, I just I think it really it's about sort of fear of the other. I think it's you know xenophobic. It's there's been an image that's been portrayed as you know that there's something inherently violent about the Muslim faith or the Arab culture, and that's that's unfortunate. And of course, you know it doesn't help when you have ISIS and Al Qaeda. And stuff like that, but 
I mean, it's like to me, it's 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 not very complicated. So ISIS is a terrorist group, and Iraqis are fighting them, yeah. <laughs> and we want that. We want we want to. We, we Iraqis don't want that element in their country. Mm-hmm. You know? I come I come from a culture like when I took my wife, who's born in Kansas, to Baghdad. People loved her. I mean, what is what is what is the stereotype of Iraqis? What is this? What is the stereotype of Arabs? The stereotype of Arabs is they love to have invite you to their house, and they will overfeed you, <laughs> and they will give you tea and sweets, and they're just very social and personable people, and will give you whatever you need. And there was not one minute that my wife um, felt uncomfortable or threatened, or anyone was you know, hostile to her. And he, and she comes from the country that's bombing <laughs> Iraq yeah. and people were able to differentiate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So but we can't do that here. No, you can't do that here. And I, and I'm glad you brought up me, you know, films because I, I do feel that that contributes to it. Yeah. You know, I think look, look at the history of blackface. Okay. This is, this wasn't some obscure, like form of entertainment in, in the backwoods or in barns. This was mainstream American entertainment that lasted for about a hundred years, all the way up into the fifties. Okay, these these were white individuals who thought they were doing something good by putting on black makeup, mm-hmm. and in many cases, this is the first time that Americans had seen any any representation of black black people. But it was. It was a fabrication. It, it was an interpretation of white people putting on black face and these these horrific, just offensive representations of black people as buffoonish, as stupid, as violent, as 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 uh, sleazy. Those types, even and then in the, and during the civil rights in the sixties, they said, "All right, well, look, we can't do the black face. This is people are offended by this, and so let's just keep the character." that we've created for over a hundred years and just hire a black actor. Mm. Right. And so I'm saying it's, it's very much the same thing with representations of Arabs and Muslims, um, as just being inherently violent. look at a film like back to the future, the silly film about going back to the future, but then they insert this very specific incident, the Libyans. Yeah. These guys weren't even speaking Arabic. They weren't, their ethnicity was an Arab and it was just like thrown in. And all they can do is shoot and kill. That's yeah. that's their only role. And you can, you can trace this in movies. You can, I mean, guys like um, there's a film, uh, Real Bad Arabs. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jack Shaheen wrote a great book about Jack Shaheen. Really traces this. So, so yeah. I mean, I I, I guess I'm just saying that um, there's a correlation, for sure, and. The, when when that kid was saying, "I saw American Sniper," is very realistic. It confirmed something negative in him, something hateful, or something that he thought, "Well, these people must be evil because why would we keep blowing up their country?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the same thing is true when um, you look at representation of you know a dominant culture that wants to represent people of a culture they don't come from. So it's distorted, it's dark, it's negative, and. I feel that that carries over into the news and into Hollywood and into our TV shows. And it makes it easier to bomb um, Arab countries. Yeah, Yeah. because it shapes your it shapes your view. It shapes your perspective. Um, 
as much as you say it doesn't, it's it's pretty. It could be subtle, and it could it could kind of warp that in a way. And I feel like there was, and this kind of goes back to like representation in Hollywood in terms of like Oscars so white and stuff like that. Because I know there are people who don't see that as like such a big deal, and I do think that there should be not just representation but power, and power should be given to. Females, people of color, basically anyone, you know, like, let's cut back on the uh, white male dude and, you know, not just representation, but give them power. But I, I think all of that stuff, you know, just representation is important because it does shape uh, people's views and opinions regardless of, you know, how insignificant it seems to people where it's like, oh, it's just entertainment or whatever. I don't really even know what the argument is against it other than it doesn't seem like it holds a lot of power. But it actually does, and there's a lot of money behind it because they know it, you know, not to get conspiratorial, but they know that (laughs) it does affect people, you know, whether they know it or not, like subtly, it does shape your view. So, oh, absolutely. I mean, Clint Eastwood had an ideology. He wanted to say something about the American military, that it was just and good, and say something about Iraqis, that there that there's something inherently problematic with them. That you may see a, a woman and child and think, oh, those poor people, I hope the American doesn't kill them. And then in the, in the narrative of the film, it's like, oh, well, secretly they're up to no good. So, wow. This poor man, he has to do the dirty work for us. He has to kill this child, but to protect us. Yeah. But what's missing in this is an invading force. I say flip it around. The American, the the let's say the child and the woman is blonde, white from Nebraska, and the sniper is a dark skinned man from Sudan. Like, what happens then? You know. And um, I mean, I think these biases are internal. And I think it's so deep, it's so hard for people to see. There's a, there's a famous image um, of a scene from the TV show Homeland, and it shows a particular street in Beirut. And in fact, there's even a name. They have the name. And it's like guys, you know, with AK-47, and there's a pickup truck, and women, and Abaya's all wrapped up. It's very shady. It's taken from a, like a high angle, like a crane shot, and guns, and the streets are dirty. The actual street... The actual real street, there's a Starbucks. There's like, there's like shop. It's like a shopping district. Yeah. And it looks like any other corner in like Chicago or New York. And um, why would Homeland prefer to show this scary, shady thing? Because again, it conf- like that student said, it confirms something. The yeah. other one is familiar. It, it mirrors their value. You know, Arab kids on the phone drinking a Starbucks latte. That's them. And then if, if that's them, wait, why are we bombing these people? What, mm-hmm. Like what? And, I, and I'm not necessarily – I don't think it's like a conspiracy. Like I don't think these shows are trying to paint this picture. I think what they're, what they're referencing are each other. You know, so it's like, yeah, I remember this film when I was a kid and mm-hmm. they showed the Middle East. I want that. I want the call to prayer. I want the woman in the hijabs. I want the dudes. Of the, I want the image that I have. I don't care if it's real. And of course, they, they have the right to fictionalize whatever they want. Yeah. But they're not even trying. I mean, it's 
someone someone said to me, "Do you, do I think like uh, the, the networks are biased or they're promoting propaganda?" I'm like, their propaganda, their bias is money. I mean, it's capitalism. Yeah. You know, um, does this make more money than this? Yeah. Do are people going to get hurt? Is, is is bias and bigotry being enhanced by doing this? Yeah. Do they care? No, they don't care. Um, is but I think in some films there is some ideological component to it. You know. Yeah. Um, it's not like. I don't think overtly nefarious like every time. And that's why it kind of sounds conspiratorial. It's like, well, they don't think it's a big deal because they're not questioning like where these thoughts are originating from or like, you know, the roots of that, like why it needs to look like this and not this and like what kind of impact that would have um, to people who don't think like them. I don't know. It's like, it's such, it can be like an insane, like, can of worms to open which needs to be opened i think but um that doesn't mean that like people are like rubbing their hands together in dark rooms and being like this is what we're gonna do you know like writers or directors aren't doing that they just honestly don't know any better and they didn't take any time to actually think about what they're doing absolutely and you maybe you've probably heard this term orientalism yeah totally Um, famous Edward Said book and I, and I think that applies to everything from academics to just you know you you want to write a story or you you imagine like what China would be well what do you have you have movies you have books you have photos and it's locked it's locked in place you actually it's very it'd be very it'd be great for you to know exactly what's going on in China 2017 but if you're just sitting in a room and someone said write about it you will default to images and things that have, have been locked in place and um, and and so people tend to default on that. By the way, so I you know I live in Boulder, and I'll give you an example. So I was out with my with my daughter. We were in some playground, and um, I was speaking to this lady, and um, she was asking me questions about my name and all this stuff. And I told her where I was from, and she said, "Oh, are you? Do you work for the United Nations?" <laughs> As if just just coming from Iraq, I had to be like a UN. <laughs> yeah. I said, "No, no, I'm just and." She said something very interesting. She said, you don't look, you don't look like you come from Iraq. Okay. And because I'm wearing pants and a shirt. Now, she's not, like, I, would not, I wouldn't call her a racist or a bigot. What she is responding to, again, is she has an image in her head of what an Arab looks like. And she probably imagined me with, like, the dishdasha and the kafia and the, all this and Maybe a longer beard, and maybe I should be holding a camel behind me or something. <laughs> yeah. But it is it is an image, and um, and and I think that for her, I don't know, but maybe for a second she realized, oh, like of course he doesn't have to look like any other, you know, like like what I, I'm not sure exactly what she imagined, but what she's responding to is something in her mind, and I think that's kind of the default stuff that's. Just like normal average Americans don't want to be like, they don't want to have these ideas of what the other is, but it's almost, it's in them and it's something they were raised with. Um, and, um, and I get it. I get it. And I, and I, and I see what they see. It's so weird. Like when you're an immigrant, you can kind of like, you see yourself as an immigrant. But you also see yourself outside of that. You see how other people see you. Like so, like when I go to the, when I was a kid and I go to my, to my mom to the mall and she'd be speaking her thick accent, 
I see how others see us. Like we are foreign, right? Yeah. And I would and I would say to my mom, like, if she speak Arabic, I'm like, Shh, don't don't. Like I don't want anyone to see us that way because when you're a kid, you just want to fit in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just want to blend. Yeah. Um. And I. And so I understand people's weird distortions, and I, and I but I, and I always have to like respond to it somehow. Um, but I could I could hide, like I could easily just be like, hey, call me Sammy, and and never bring it up. And I know I know guys like that. I knew people like that who were from Iran and just sort of hid it because they could blend in or they look like you, and you know um, they don't really have to reveal their background, their ethnicity. And I, and I totally understand why they would just want life to be easier that way. I get it. But, and, and it's, and it's, and it's hard because like when you, when you come from a culture that's demonized and vilified, you, you do default and become some sort of ambassador in a weird way. Like, no, we don't do that. No, I don't have an AK 47. No, I don't No, We don't want to blow anything up. Uh, yes, we eat lasagna like everyone else. Like I don't like the questions that I get or, it's so weird. Like, I mean, even my wife's aunt asked, like, asked her about Islam. They're like, you know, Muslims believe in Jesus. And Moses, she's like, they do. <laughs> it's like, um, so yeah, I think lack of education, lack of knowledge, and these distorted representations have a lot to do with it. How much of a toll does that take on you? Like, having to be that ambassador, having to respond to someone who's like, why don't Muslims condemn ISIS? Yeah, you know, not necessarily that you you have to even be Muslim. It's because you know, to get to Islamophobia, you already look like a Muslim, so therefore you have to answer that question. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the the truth is, Muslims do condemn it all the time. It's just, well, what you know, what's being reported, what isn't. Mm-hmm. But also, I say, you know, I live in Colorado. Not too long ago, we got this guy walk into a Planned Parenthood and shoot it up. He quoted the Bible. He said he was a soldier for the unborn. Um, right-wing media for months prior to that, they were going off on that, you know, that sort of that fake video selling baby parts that yeah. was going around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I listen, I consume a lot of this right-wing media because I, I, I commute. And um, they kept on saying, Someone's got to do something about this. Someone's got to do something about it. All the talk show hosts And um, someone did. Now, I'm, I'm curious why no one went after them and said, you know, aren't you promoting terrorism? Um, no one questioned where this guy went to church. No one, you know, I would like to hear more about sort of the biblical references he was alluding to. I mean, where where is that... Um, hyper focus on his faith on the bible on on his community and um and his ethnicity you know yeah. um but they don't have that because people are able to distinguish and say look this is not my christianity mm-hmm. he's not from my community he's not representative of what I, my values so i flip i flip it i say the same thing why do muslims have to apologize for something they consider un-islamic yeah. And they and they have condemned it. I mean, in Baghdad alone, we've had massive, massive anti-ISIS rallies. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, the the problem is again the question, right? It's it's that I'm responsible somehow for yeah. this. 
um, or that there's something in my faith as a Muslim that um, allows this or is, this, or is okay with this. And, um, yeah, that, that does get old. Um, and you asked me, like, how do I deal with this, sort of being an ambassador to all that? Yeah, does it, like, what kind of a toll does it take on you? It, it's, it's exhausting. If, right now it feels like this, the environment feels like it did right after 9-11, you know? Um, things feel unsafe for us. And um, it's a fight. It's exhausting. It's traumatic. And I try to keep my head up and try to have a sense of humor about it. And also, I also remember, like, this is the American experience. This is the American story. That every everybody from, from Jew, the Jewish people to the Irish to African-American, it's like this endurance test. Like, how much abuse are we, are we going to take until they've until we're finally sort of allowed into Team America, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and apparently it's not over. <laughs> yeah. The answer is we have to take more. Um, but I, I worry, Chris. I mean, I have a daughter. She's five and a half. And uh, I, I don't want, I hope she doesn't go through what I went through, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, but I'm not sure. I think she might, you know, have to answer to that, yeah. you know? That kind of goes back to when we're talking about like news influence or Hollywood influence and stuff like that. Because the thing is, why don't Muslims condemn ISIS? And, you know, the two answers are they do. The second one is, why do they have to? Like, the, you know, and to go back to your example, you know, look what happens when it's flipped. And, uh, you know, when someone asks that, they could Google it easily. And then there's their answer. <laughs> they do. Uh, but they don't. And I still hear that, and I felt like that was going to end at some point, like after a couple months of ISIS, and it hasn't, and it's been like however long, too long, but, um, you know, that I still kind of hear that question, and I'm like, how the hell, like, have you not gotten this answer yet? Why aren't you Googling this yourself, if this is something you really want, you know, you really want the answer to this question? Do you believe that they want the answer? I mean, no, it's not a question, it's a statement. But, and, it's, and, it's, and it's an FU. But to, why? To, to Muslims. Yeah. But why aren't, like, why isn't the answer in front of them in terms of, like, what's on the news, what's in movies, or something like that, where they shouldn't have to even come up with that thought, you know? I'm not talking about an overload, but I'm talking about, like, you know, one of my old coworkers who's, like, super liberal, listens to NPR, you know, take that however you want to, but those avenues should provide him with that answer. And he still had to say it. Like, he still said that to me. And it's like, that's a failure. That's a complete failure for, like, someone listening to fucking NPR and, like, that's what they say. So, you know, representation, all that stuff, it does make a difference. And I wish... I don't know. Well, I mean, okay, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so the question it would be: so why are Muslims con- condemning this and speaking out against ISIS? So, the the main victims of ISIL, ISIS, are other Muslims. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's like if they're the victims, what is it that they need to speak? Out? Like, <laughs> yeah. so strange. The question is strange, and um, and it and it it's a reflection of what I was saying earlier 
when the when, when the question comes from a problematic or distorted place, when you re- the the struggle to respond to it, like the lady that says, "Oh, you don't look Iraqi." Actually, I do look Iraqi. Why do I look Iraqi? Because I'm Iraqi. Like what? What, what is there? What is there to say? I don't understand. I mean, that's like seeing a woman wearing jeans. And be like, you're not really dressed as a lady. It's like, what? Yeah. I mean, what are we talking about here? Iraq, Iraqis, who it's it's a country with most different types of Muslim, Shi'i, Sunni. It's a country with Christians. It's a country with all sorts of different types of minorities, like the Yazidis, um, Turkmen, and um, Bag. Like my family, we have Shi'i, we have Sunni, we have Turkmen, we have. Um, the people from Europe, from America, we are a mixed family, and that's not—that's pretty typical mm-hmm. in Baghdad. And so, people are terrified of this terrorist organization that's murdering them and coming after them. Um, and many, and so they don't even consider them Islamic. So, people are asking a question that comes from a place of bigotry. That's what I think, mm-hmm. and. Christian Americans don't look at all the rapes by the Catholic Church and the priests and go, well, that's our fate. You know, I mean, I would like to go up to a priest and say, what's up with all the rape? (laughs) What's up with you and little boys? Mm -hmm. But I know that's stupid. Like, he's not, that guy's not responsible. Um, And I know that a family who is a Catholic faith that they don't believe that that's a good thing or that they're into it. I mean, of course not. Why would I, I can tell the difference, you know, and Iraqis and Arabs can tell even as American bombs are being dropped on their homes, they can still recognize that the American people, most of them um, didn't approve of this. It's funny to me that other people can make that distinction. And then there's, you know, a percentage of Americans that can't. What does that say? So yeah, it's it's really it is it is frustrating. It is frustrating. Yeah. Have you encountered anything like that kind of attitude or perspective when you're you know gearing up for a film or touring with a film? You know, like kind of on the documentary indie circuit. Well, you know, I mean. So I, I had a screening recently. Um, we showed American Arab, and there was a young lady whose boyfriend was from the Middle East. Um, I believe he was from Kuwait. And her boss was just super prejudiced and said all sorts of horrific things like, oh, is, is he a terrorist? Is he going to you know, blow himself up? Um, and she, she stood up and just started crying. <laughs> you know, um, And in, the, in a case like that, I was just supportive and let her know that it's going to be okay, and um, that people like that exist, and just you know, um, just to do her best to educate people, and just that her her relationship with this guy is is enough. Just that, just his presence there with her, like she doesn't have to answer to that, you know, she doesn't have to fight it, she doesn't want to. But how do I gear up to it? Um, it's tough. I mean, I get some rough questions sometimes. I get a person that um, seems angry <laughs> at, at, at Muslims yeah. um, or wants to make a point. Um, it's kind of cool that they came to the film. 
happened yeah, with I anything. Yeah, mean, it's rare. It's happened a couple of times. Um, I guess I just do my best. It, for, for me, it's it's tough because there's like all this noise, and I feel like I have to sort of go through all this noise. It's like, no, we're not all terrorists. No, we don't we don't beat our women. And then once I get over that that initial stage. Then I, I want to talk about the stuff that I really want to talk about. Like when, I, when I came here when I was a kid, I don't walk around going, hey, I'm Arab. Like We don't have that self-consciousness where we think of ourselves that way. You know, Kids, it's very difficult for us to kind of zoom out and see ourselves from above and go, oh, I don't fit in here, or I'm a foreigner, or I'm an alien. But actually now that's kind of become part of who I am, my identity, you know? Um, and I'm okay with that. And it took me a while to get there. And in a weird way, it's like I see America now very clearly because I, I grew up in it's, you know, in a college town in Iowa and my friends and my neighbors and teachers were predominantly white American people. And I grew up with those values, but I also saw and heard things, um, that were just strange to me. So I was able not to only be part of the American experience, but also see how that experience, part of it is is about otherizing people and about bigotry and about racism. It's part of our history and our landscape. And we haven't shrugged it off. I mean, it's, it's in everything I do. I see it all the time. And it's, sometimes it's on a really subtle, mellow level, like, why aren't you dressed as an Arab? To you're you're a terrorist. Period. I don't care what you say. I know you people. You know, and so I can't have like a nuanced conversation about my faith or what I grew up with or how I feel about Islam, um, or make jokes about you know Arabs this or that because I'm still answering these other things and I'm still trying to respond to that. But if I'm in a room with some of my buddies who are from various parts of the world, and some of them are Arabs or Muslims, um, I'm more relaxed and can joke about this stuff and talk about it um, without feeling like it's going to be distorted or misunderstood. Um, And I'll tell you this, after all of this, I still believe the the, the real spirit of America um, are, are those movements that came out of the 60s and, and 70s, the civil rights and the feminist movement and uh, and all the way up until 2017, Black Lives Matter and the, the march against the, the protest and the activism against the travel ban. When I look at that spirit, I'm like, I think we're going to be okay. But there's always this battle. And, um, you know, the Muslim question is, is now. And the I, I could hide and go make weird experimental art films <laughs> and just do that and, and mumble a few things about what's going on. Or I can just put myself out there, take the metaphorical firing squad, take the abuse, but also answer and be, be someone that can speak about this. And by the way, I wasn't always articulate early on. I, I said some stupid things. And, and people would ask me, like, really difficult questions, and I did my best. Um, and I'm, I'm still, I still struggle about, like, how to respond to this. Because on one hand, I'm an individual, right? I'm just Osama. I've had my life. 
um, but I'm also a symbol or I'm of something else. I'm, I represent something. And so I, you, 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 you default, you become a spokesperson, whether you like it or not, you know, you want to know what this experience is like for an Arab American. I'm like, and I'm trying, trying my best to describe it. Um, but I think ultimately the story of America, like when I think about Chicago and the history of Chicago, this, this rich immigrant town and everything that's gone there, it's a struggle of um, power, like the voiceless and tr trying to humanize uh, a people that has been vilified. Um, and it's as simple as that. Mm. Uh, in my family and my films and my voice, it's just, it's always my attempt to do that. And, and, and I got that activist feeling from living in Chicago, like working with guys like Studs Terkel, who I was very close with, um, and other activists there where it wasn't about being passive. It's like, you, are you unhappy? If you're unhappy with the landscape, with the environment, with the laws, then do something about it, you know, change it. Our culture, every day, it's it's being created. Nothing is fixed here. We're brand new. <laughs> this country, we are still being formed. We're not done. And I th and I think really that's the battle. It's the battle of who gets to lock the American story in place. And it's not ever going to be locked. And no one could claim it. Like, so what's the American experience? It's your story. It's my story. It's my daughter's story. It's, it's the immigrant from Somalia. It's the Arab woman with the hijab who's been harassed on the train. That is the American experience. And um, we have to accept that. Um, so I, I just, as an artist, um, for me, that's the most powerful way of communicating. It's, it's to, to have that sense of... Um, like that sense of activism, like I can contribute something positive. I can say, I can add to this dialogue. It's not over. Um, and that's really sort of been the fire that's, that's lit, lit me and moved me forward doing the kind of work that I'm doing. I wanted to ask you like how the filmmaker hustle has changed since you're, you have a kid now. Yeah. You mean how my, you mean my productivity being a filmmaker. Yeah, like what has, you know, because you have to, I don't know if you're a writer, director as well, but you know, you have to find the money and the time, so, and a kid takes up a lot of your time, as I've heard, um, so how different has that become for you? I've slowed down, I've slowed down, I've had to slow down, um, I was very, I was very, I was very productive when I lived in Chicago. I lived in Chicago for almost 20 years, and I, I mean, for a while, I was making a, a short film a month. I mean, a band comes and said, hey, you want to make a music video? Yeah. Um, and I had a very supportive community of performers and creative people that um, I was able to organize, and I had the space, I had the resources. Uh, as I got older, older um, I'm, I plan things out more and I would say the big shift is yes, being a dad, spending more time with my child. And I've also started to make 
smaller films. Um, for a while, I was just shooting with just little, little cameras um, and putting them up and really looking at her point of view, like literally a child's point of view, yeah. and been interested in that. Um, I don't feel that... I don't, I don't feel the, um, the urgency like I did before. Um, and mainly that's have to do also because I've made so much work that I've wanted to make. I've said, I've made some of the big statements. Um, and so now I'm like quality over quantity, I guess. Like I'm, I'm, I'm preparing myself for like for this next film, Boy From War. I know we're, we got a good like four or five year <laughs> until we're done from beginning to end. And I'm okay. I'm glad. That's fine. I, I know how long it takes and I'm, I'm ready for the long haul. Um, and that's really, I think, the difference now. There's a slow down a little bit just because I want to be more careful and um, make it the way I want. I'm not saying that stuff before was rushed. Um, but just being a little younger, I was eager to kind of get the films done and ready and out and go to the next one. Now I'm just in general, I've slowed down mm-hmm. um, and just try to be more present and not just feeling, okay. I'm feeling more satisfied with my career. Like, okay, I'm, I've done, I've, I've gotten this far. Now what's next? So I think in many ways I'm on a new phase um, in my, in my filmmaking practice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of in your former. Uh, <laughs> You're eager. Yeah. 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 No, because I'm doing a lot of um, of short work, and you know, the longer stuff that needs more simmering or more writing or more money, uh, you know, I still get to that. But something like a short where it's like this will cost two hundred bucks with my friends. Let's go and do it, and it's not bad. It's still good, but uh, because of like the commitment of a short film, it's easier to get out there. And uh, for me, at least, what I can see now is that I'm a really slow learner and things take more time to stick with me in in terms of, like, lessons and stuff like that. So it's kind of, you know, I'm sharpening my skills and I'm also kind of, like, forcing people to listen to me, to my voice and being like, all right, well, you don't give a shit about that one. How about this one? Like, this one's, like, out there. So it's kind of like a more, uh, it's one of those things where you're running a marathon and I guess the, the other version of that is like, oh, you sustain your pace and you're dedicated and stuff like that. And me, I'm just kind of like jumping up and down. But it's like almost like you, but, but I, and I completely understand that. I mean, for me, it was like, I had all this stuff in me that I needed to get out and there was so much, I couldn't believe like, and there, I mean, I mean, I, I, yeah, I make, I make these films, documentaries and stuff, but I also had different types of passions. And, um, yeah, I, I had these peaks where I did a lot, I was very, very productive and just wanted to see this and this and this and that. Um, I still have a little bit of that. Like I have a super eight camera and I've been making little shorts with that. And I just, in many ways now in my forties, I've been returning to kind of my early passions, you know, like just being young and just having a sketchbook and just sitting alone on your bed and just being in your own world. I've been, um, craving that and, um, and, um, 
teaching that to my own daughter. Like, uh, she has like a whole art desk and area, and we spent a lot of time just making things. And just the joy and purity of just that creation, like, no, not think about film festivals or reviews or how much or yeah, that stuff's the worst. Or, what? That stuff's the worst. That's like the never fun yeah. part. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, are, are we shooting on four K? I don't, know. <laughs> you know, I don't care anymore. Um, yeah. And and again, I think that's just like coming. I've come to this place, and I couldn't have done that if I hadn't done all this work. And made and frankly made stuff that wasn't great, you know, um, stuff that I could have spent more time on. But it, it is what it is. It's like I made a lot of work, and this is where I'm at right now. And now I'm just a bit more focused. Um, and I think some of that carelessness and some of that urgency and eagerness um, helped get my work up. I mean, that carelessness took me to Baghdad at the time when it was like, no American should be traveling there. And we had to write our wills before we left. And oh, it was clearly dangerous. Yeah. I mean, it was dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, there were kidnappings and beheadings happening all over. So it wasn't, I didn't just do it because I thought it'd be good for my career. I told my wife, I said, we may die. She's like, okay, that's what, I mean, <laughs> let's write, let's prepare. Yeah. But we didn't. And, um, and then, and then you have to continue after that. But yeah, I, I still have the fire. It's just, it's on low burn. It's not on the, (laughs) it's it's there. It's not off, Yeah. but it's, it's simmering and it's, you know, I'm, I'm still building the work up and I'm also, um, realizing that for for this next project, like boy from war, um, it's animation, it's going to cost, um, I can't just quickly snap my fingers. And, because it's so involved and complicated, um, I have to be steady and focused. And you talk about Boy From War and you talk about your daughter. And from our earlier conversations, I know those kind of go together. So can you talk about what led to you exploring animation for that film, your upcoming film? A few things. So I teach I teach film. I teach this class at uh, Colorado State University called... It's a class called Evaluating Contemporary Film. And one semester we showed um, the film Persepolis uh, by Marjane Satrapi. And then next semester I showed uh, Waltz with Bashir by Ari Fulman. At the end of Waltz with Bashir, I mean, here was this film, these, you know, these young, young Colorado, you know, these teenagers, um, 18, 19, they are watching this story about an Israeli soldier fighting during the time of Lebanon. And I'm trying to give them the whole background of Palestine and Israel and Lebanon, like all, and they're like, huh? (laughs) (laughs) But even though they had no direct connection at the end of the film, they were completely silent as if, and I, I looked across and they were just all in deep thought. They were clearly affected. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, like, damn, there's something here. So I kept that in mind. I was like, check. There's something about, if this story wasn't told in animation, I don't think it would have this impact. There's something about that that drew them in and then pulled them in emotionally. So I thought about that and then watching my daughter respond to animation. And, um, and I thought, this, you know, this, there's something about animation that's, that triggers our own childhood. And 
it's different than live action in that there's kind of this, this flexibility and freedom in what you can do and see. And I've, I was, I've always been sort of short handing my, or shortening that story about growing up in war when I was a kid. I kind of, I mentioned it in nice bombs, like I'm returning, you know, there's kind of a, an aside, a footnote about it in American Arab. And the reason I never went into it because it's completely traumatic. That's a, there's a very <laughs> traumatic thing that happened to me. And I was, a, I was a boy, I was young, I was nine and 10. And the story is really about me and my dog. I had a dog there and it was just really hard for me. It took me a long time to get over having to leave my dog, having to leave my dog in war. Like I left, but my dog had to stay. And that was really the seed of the story. Um, and there was that. And the, 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 the summer that I was sort of thinking about it and processing it in my head, the images of the Syrian refugees were coming out. There was that, um, there's some just really horrible images. Um, the one of the, the kid face down, I think yeah. it was, yeah. And again, it reminded me, it's like, wow, one image. Again, we, 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 we're still a visual culture. There's something about that that affected us. And then, so I thought, if I can make something that can speak to that level, can humanize what it's like to be a kid being brought to America, being thrown back into Iraq, and just you're just a kid. You don't you're not like this political entity. You're just trying to live. You just want to play. You just want to live. You don't at age ten. You don't want to think about your mortality, and that's what I was going through. I was like, I may die. Yeah. You know. And I remember asking my dad. I was like, Dad, like, whose side are we on? Iraq? Are we the good guys? He's like, Yeah, we're the good guys. The United States supports us. They're going to help us. I said, Okay. And I just remember that. It's like feeling like, are they? But also realizing at age 10, as the bombs were falling nightly, and I would hide in the bathroom just by myself, um, I knew my parents couldn't protect me. I knew that I might go. And that, that was a lot. And I never really I never really spoke about it and really didn't convey it to my, my parents. Um, but for years, whenever I heard an airplane, my heart would pound, I'd break into a sweat, and I'd want to hide. I was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder and didn't even know what, what that meant. I never went to therapy. Like, no one said, I think this boy is fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and so when I saw the stories of the refugees and people are like, oh, they're terrorists or we shouldn't let them in, I was like, God, here we are again. Like, these are, these are kids and families that are suddenly in a bad situation. So there's that political end. But from the personal in making this, we, we had a few challenges. One, every documentary I've made, either I'm shooting it or I have all this great archival footage. He, here's the problem. When we, when we came to Iraq and the war started, my dad just stopped taking photos. Mm. My mom stopped taking photos. My dad stopped taking photos. And even though he had a Super 8 camera, all through the 70s, like every week he made a film, he just stopped. So I had, I had like literally no images from this time period this this most difficult time period. It was all my memory and interviews of other people. So that was like kind of a, a fun detective assignment. Like, how do I reconstruct this time and place? And I realized the only way I could really do it is from that memory of a ten year old boy. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that's kind of cool because, in one way, it's subjective, but it's it's this very specific truth of what it would be like to be a child 
in nine, what is it, nineteen um, yeah nineteen eighty, um, in in southern Iraq where we were, and experiencing this this this, this war, like being being there and, and having a dog and having like growing up with my dog and trying to have a relationship with my dog and my dog got lost for a while. It, it's horrible, but so th- there was that, and then I thought, you know my. My kid, who's born in the United States, she's going to grow up and may not know this part of her dad, this history. And so it was really like it was for her and it was for her generation. And I was like, I don't I don't want these kids growing up thinking that somehow there's something wrong with, with refugees or these are bad people or escaping war means there's something wrong with you. Like I wanted them to sort of understand what this would be like. Um, and so the other challenge is like, OK, so how are we going to. I, I started working on the animator, um, and uh, her name is Caroline. And we, as we were constructing this together, I thought, well, I can't use my face. So my daughter, who looks very similar to me when I was a child, um, through convincing with candy, <laughs> <laughs> that was her pay- that was her payment, right? Um, I shot I shot a close up of her face, sort of responding, like, look up look sad, look worried, you know, like, you know, like pretend this little stuffed animal is your dog and I'm taking it away. How does you, how do you feel? She's like, ah! you know? And she's, she's quite brilliant in that she can do that. So her expressions were migrated over to the animation and we, and our animator took those and inserted it on, on the boy's face. Um, and so it came, it was interesting. So it's, it's still an expression part of my DNA, not quite me, mm-hmm. um, but, but putting it together and we constructed this whole scene based on memories, loose photographs, some archival stuff that we found um, of Iraq during that time, just really a puzzle. And then took her face, put it on the boy's body and then did this little short, 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 tiny little teaser, like 15 seconds. And, but it gave me a clue of how I would approach this. And um, the animation allowed me to be, um, flexible and um, and to also be expressionistic like I, I could show scenes as they were and I could also show how I felt inside um, so like when I was hiding in the bathroom as the bombs were falling um, I felt like just this small creature in the dark and I'd like to show that I'd yeah. like to show this little boy hiding in this black space as these bombs are falling all around him and like missing him because that's mm. that's how I perceived it. They're just like missing me, but they were hitting other homes, hitting other children, and I just I just happened to not die, and I just happened to survive that. And in many ways, it's harder because like why am I here? Like why why am I sitting in America, and others? dying and their homes are being destroyed and they have nothing like that's, that that's a very difficult thing for me but i i don't work for the red cross i don't work for the government i'm not in the military i'm not i'm not i can't go over that what can i do but I, but i could i can make a movie i could i could say something on that level and that was really it that was really it i mean that was that was the light bulb that went off and i said i have to make this it has to be animation and um, I need to tell this story from an honest place and all of it, everything I went through. I mean, the war was just one chapter and everything that kind of happened after 
um, was informed by that experience. And, and it was very hard for me to relate to my generation. I mean, I grew up, I was a teen in the 80s. I come from Generation X. And there was, you know, a tribute. They were all cynical and all this stuff. And I never felt like that. I, it's always, I've, I've, I felt, tend to be very sincere about stuff. Um, and I just never talked about it for so long because it just seemed inconvenient to people. Like, what? What did you? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I didn't know how to talk about it. Um, and sometimes when I did talk about it, I exaggerated it or changed it or made it more like cinematic, like something they could understand. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't know, like, I didn't know how to convey what I went through inside, you know. And um, a, a lot of war, when people think of war, it's not just like, it's not like tanks in the street just blowing stuff up. It's more, it's... It's weirder. It's like, like electricity's turned off at 4 p.m., okay? Because the bombers could see lights. So the whole country goes black. So you study under kerosene lamp. It's not having toys anymore because you just get whatever, people just get bread and food, whatever's necessary. You don't, there's no money. There's nothing's being brought in. Um, Mm -hmm. Cartoons disappear. It just turns into propaganda videos. And you, as a child, you just, every day you ask yourself, am I going to die? Um, that's war. And, uh, and then I went from that and suddenly I'm in like, you know, seventh grade United States and kids are worried about like lip gloss and dating and Michael Jackson videos. And, and I was like in this dark place. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I found things temporarily to help me through it. Alcohol, <laughs> drugs, mm. and, and suffered through that for a while. Addiction, um, you know. But um, nobody wants to talk about this. Like, like someone that's been through rape or someone that's been abused. Like, the last thing you want to do is sit and tell the story, <laughs> you know. Um, but now, if, you know, how old am I? 47. <laughs> and seeing my, having being a father, it's like, uh, I, I'm getting over it to tell, to tell it. And, and the, the same thing happened when I did Nice Bomb, same thing happened when I did American. I'm like, my God, this is really embarrassing. But the, 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 the artist in me, the director, the filmmaker in me, um, knew that if I met someone like me, I would encourage me to tell the story and put it up. Be like, you have to show the blood. You have to show the suffering. You have to show this human part of you because that's real and people will connect to this. Me, personally, it's uncomfortable um, to keep doing that. Um, and I don't, like, I'm not, like, some sort of narcissist or exhi- exhibitionist. Like, I'm not enjoying it. Um, and there's definitely filmmakers that, that do enjoy that kind of self-confessional um, I guess in some way I feel like it serves a higher purpose um, and if I could just be honest and tell this as honestly as I can um, that it will resonate mm-hmm. um, so again it's, it's, it's responding to what's around me and wanting to make something that can help 
and I, and I don't and I don't just mean like oh like I, I I saw your film and now I see Arabs as human beings now. It's more than that. It's also speaking about something deeply human um, that we go through. And I, and, I'm not, and I don't think like my story is that unique. I think my story is becoming more common. Yeah. You know, like what I went through is is being reflected today, and will be will keep being reflected. You know, um, I'm in many in some ways I'm typical. I come from somewhere else, but I was raised here. You know, I have family. I have this mixed culture in me, and I, you know, um, that's that's like becoming that's part of sort of the globalization identity now. You know. Um, and, and that's great. And I just remember when I was a kid, if I, if I met anyone that had any similar path, like I did, it was like, Oh my God, thank God. You know, it's like, Oh, you're like me. And it was just so amazing to feel like that connection, that there's someone else out there that understands, um, and can connect. And I have to tell you, Chris, like every day as my other films are played, I always get emails from people. Saying, you know, I watched your film. I totally connected. My family's Jewish, and yeah. we have the same story. Yeah, and that that makes me happy. It's like, it's it's not just about this my specific story. It's like it's resonating, and and um, and that's great. And um, as long as I can keep doing that, and they haven't sent me to Guantanamo Bay yet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sama, for coming on. That was amazing. Uh, and what is next for just real quick, Boy from War? We're trying. We're trying to get um, funding, and we need help to fund this. We're polishing the script, and we have a little bit of money to make to animate just a small, small scene, um, just a couple of minutes. And we'd like to use that to shop the film around and get people interested. Um, but we could use any help we can get at this point. We'd, we'd like to get fully funded and, 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 and make this work and, and get it out there and show the world. Um, and I want it to be um, accessible. I mean, I, I'm, the goal is to get it in movie theaters, to get it, to get it out there. Um, but I know it's a long journey. Um, to get the animation done, but we're on our way. Okay, cool. Um, please check out uh, American Arab and Nice Bombs, both by Usama. They're both fantastic. And, yeah, that's it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. You're the man. IndieBeat and all the playlist podcasts are sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming, a selection of exceptional, independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. Movies film experts handpick every single film they show. Each day they present a new gem and you have one month to watch it. Visit MUBI.com slash the playlist to start your special 30-day free trial. Regular people would only get a 7-day free trial, so this is the real deal, people. You can do $5.99 a month or $47.99 for a full year. Movie is available via web or on any of your other favorite devices such as Apple TV, Samsung Smart TVs, Roku, PlayStation. So pause your game of Bonk's Adventure and watch some films, Sonnies. Mubi is a global platform, but programming is customized per country. Some highlights Mubi is now showing in the U.S. of A. Le Parc, Lights in the Dusk, and films by Lamberto Bava, son of Mario Bava. 
Listen, don't be a dummy. Try that 30-day free trial. Go to mubi.com slash the playlist. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out the other shows on the Playlist Podcast Network. I hope to hear from you so- Well, I hope that you hear from me soon. You know, you press the play button when we have a new episode. Uh, yeah, um, you're going to want to check us out. Uh, take care, everyone. Have a good night.